Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Not a stupid makeup wipe, but basically wash your face at night. If you're going to do anything, brush your teeth and wash your face at night. You don't have to apply anything, but at least just wash it. Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los Angeles. Angeles. Hello, hello. I am so excited about this guest. Me too. She's iconic. We are so happy that we got her and that she wanted to come on the podcast. It is Dr. Shireen Idris, a.k.a. Pillow Talk Derm. I love that name. Same. And if you haven't been following Dr. Idris, she's really taken off on social media. I wasn't even really familiar with her prior to her large social following. One of my friends in Texas actually sent me one of her Instagram stories and said, I think you would love this woman if you're not already following Interesting. Her. Yeah, you know what? I was, um, when we were doing research for this episode, it sounds like she became super popular last year. Yes. And, you know, Allure has done a lot with her video-wise. She's just very, very friendly and very personable. And she gives, you know, straight skin information, which I think is especially useful, especially now when people aren't really going into dermatologist's office. But she has a huge list of accolades. Sarah, did you want to read this? Sure. Okay. So Shireen Idris is a board certified dermatologist that specializes in facial aesthetics and rejuvenation, as well as minimally invasive body tightening. She graduated magna cum laude from the prestigious seven-year medical honors program at the George Washington University, which basically means that she went straight into med school, like became a dermatologist at age 24, which is like unheard of. And she's very humble about it, but she's essentially a genius. Incredible. Um, She completed yep. her research fellowship at Harvard, finalized her dermatology training at Tufts Medical Center in Boston. So she's gone to like all of the best schools. She is uh, a fellow at the American Academy of Dermatology, the American Society for Dermatologic Surgery, the Dermatologic Society of Greater New York, and the Women's Dermatologic Society. Are you not impressed? I I mean, we are not worthy. This woman is truly just... And then she looks like she's like 25. Yeah, she's like truly a baby genius, except she's not a baby. Um... Anyways, yeah. Dr. Idris, she is a digital darling. As she, Like I said, she amassed her huge following on Instagram, thanks to Pillow Talk Derm, where she will answer viewer questions in just a really fun, casual, but educational format. And we are thrilled that she's here, not only to talk to us about skin and her background and what she does every day for a living, but also to answer all of your questions uh, that we compiled from Instagram. So enjoy our episode with Dr. Shireen Idris. If you like this podcast, please rate us five stars and leave us a review and follow us on social media. Hi, Dr. Idris. Welcome to Los Angeles. Thank you guys for having me. I wish I could have been in California. Same. Same. Well, you know, if you were here, we'd be like, okay, so let's take a look at this. Like, what do you think <laughs> this thing is here? Can you remove it? Should I get it removed? Um, so maybe it's for the best because then this will only be an hour and not like four hours. Well, I mean, when you put it that way, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then when when you can finally come and visit LA, we'll pick up those personal consultations. Though. Honestly, anytime. You know what's ironic is I got my California medical license in the mail, March 12th. And I was supposed to fly out on the 15th to see somebody there, but COVID happened and that did not happen. And so I have this California medical license sitting on my desk that has yet to be used. So who knows, maybe you guys will be my first patients in California. Oh, gladly. Ser yeah, seriously. <laughs> Don't have to ask us twice. We'll be there in a 
a split second. Um, so, okay, Dr. Idris, we have a segment on every episode called What's, What's on, on Your, your face? face? And we ask our guests what they have on their face. So that you're seeing is my sweat because I ran here. Mom sweat. This morning, I used the Super Goop Glow Screen because I don't wear that much makeup and I just find it to give me enough of a glittery, glowy kind of highlighter effect. Um, I feel like J-Lo, even though I look far from J-Lo, but I feel like I'm J-Lo when I put it on. And then I have, um, so that's probably the most important thing I used this morning. And then I used Kevin O'Quan's eyebrow pen because my eyebrows are very few and sparse and in between. And it cosmetics mascara, it's a good one. Um, Clé de Peau Concealer. I discovered that one through my followers who all raved about it, and now I use it under my eyes. Uh, very lightly, though. It's like I just dab it on my finger and dab it under my eyes. And then I have eyeliner on right now because I can see myself. I forgot I put that on. But I have eyeliner, and this one is by, um, what's her name? Kat Von D. That Clé de Peau, I was going to say, Sarah, we love that Clé de Peau Concealer. It's like... That's a holy grail one. The stick one? Yes. It's so good. Oh my God, it's so good. It's the best, especially if you have a pimple. This is a PSA for anyone that has like pimples on the reg. Like get this concealer. First of all, it lasts you forever. Forever. You don't need a lot of it. It's like spackle almost, mm -hmm. but it blends really well. So like all you do is just like need a little tiny bit for whatever zit you have and then cover it up or under eye. This is where I put it. I just put it right here because I didn't sleep that much last night. And it's from this morning. I think it's still doing a pretty good job. Looks great. It's an incredible concealer. We're big fans. Um, well, thank you for sharing what's on your face. Yeah, those are really good ones. Okay, so we want to start at the beginning. For those of our listeners who are not familiar, they want to know, like, how did you get into dermatology before you were this big celebrity derm? I'm not a celebrity derm, but how did I get into dermatology? <laughs> um, well, um, I, it's a long road. I'm not going to bore you with all the details. It's a tough road. Um, it's a road that requires a lot of dedication. I actually was very fortunate because I got into undergrad and med school from high school. So I did what's called a seven-year program. So it was a straight shot where I did three years of undergrad and then I was directly accepted into the medical school at the university. So I um, kind of rushed through my undergrad experience. I was pretty young. I was, probably, I was 20 years old when I started med school. I remember when I applied to the program, I wanted to do plastic surgery because I loved working with my hands. Um, I, I used to sculpt and I'm very much an artistic kind of visual person, but it wasn't until, I don't know if it was, I can't remember if it was like the first year of med school or the last year of undergrad, my sister had really bad eczema. And so I went with her to the dermatologist thinking, you know, I'll just accompany her. But while we were there, I realized, oh my God, this is so cool. You know, not realizing what I didn't know. Um, not only does my sister have a problem that this person is going to go and help her fix, and this, my sister doesn't have to convince the doctor that she has a problem, which is like huge because I hated internal medicine for that reason. But also they do all of this other stuff to kind of help people feel their best and look better without really changing them. And so I got really curious. I started shadowing that doctor um, every week while my friends were kind of like ditching class. I'd go to a doctor's office and like shadow this local dermatologist who was great um, to kind of, God bless her. She really put up with a lot of my stupid questions. And then um, I took a year off in med school, did research and then applied. And I basically prayed that I would get in. It was a crapshoot and I was very, very fortunate to get in. And so that's how I ended up in dermatology. That's incredible. So you're like a baby genius. No, no I'm far. I think, I think <laughs> I have a very big guardian angel. I really do. I really do think I'm very, very lucky. I do think it takes a lot of hard work, and I'm not going to put that down because it was a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice. But uh, if you don't put in the sacrifice and the hard work without the luck, it's hard to get ahead. And I do think I'm very fortunate. So. Um, I wouldn't call myself a baby genius. My husband would definitely agree with me that I'm not a baby genius. <laughs> would you say like, because you were so young, you were probably, how old were you when you uh, became a dermatologist? When I start, uh, when I graduated or when I started, I think I was 24 when I started. Okay, so you were pretty young. And so was that hard to kind of convince your clients that you knew what you were doing? Also, you have such a beautiful baby face. Girl. I bought, so I am blind to begin with. I wear negative eight and a half glasses, okay? 
However, aesthetically, I don't like wearing them because they're heavy and my eyes look like two tiny little dots. So I ended up buying these big glasses, like these frames that had no prescription in them. And I remember in the very beginning, I felt the need to judge myself up, whether it was wearing jewelry that didn't fit my age or wearing these stupid glasses. They were kind of cool though, looking back. Or, you know, I felt the need to kind of play the part of someone who was older. And I'm so glad I'm over with that phase of my life <laughs> because I remember one time I was wearing those fake glasses and I went in to go laser someone and I forgot I had the fake glasses on because they were not part of my DNA. And then I forgot to put the laser goggles on because I thought the glasses were my goggles. So I am very grateful that I am done with that part of my life, truthfully. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of pressure to kind of convince people, you know, because at the time I felt like I had to show them that it was more about my skill and not my age. And you can't, you know, and, and I understand patients were worried because who is this kid coming in? Um, and, you know, what does she know what she's doing? And to this day, it's funny. I, I, um, I was speaking to a colleague I had just met and I think she thought I was like seven years younger and she was like, Oh my God, I didn't realize we were practicing that long. And I'm like, yeah, I've been around for a while. So it's uh, to this day, it kind of still happens a little bit, but it's uh, I'm glad I don't have to do it on the daily anymore. I, I mean, I, f I feel like I know everything about you because I follow you so closely on Instagram. So I didn't even realize how young you were. That's incredible. What is the biggest misconception you think maybe your clients or people that reach out to you on social media have about dermatology or even skincare? I mean, there are so many. It's such a, that's a tough one because I feel like it's such a broad topic. I mean, the, from the bird's eye view, right? I think people think dermatologists are harder to attain. Like you can't reach a dermatologist like you could a GP or a pediatrician or whatever. And so it's almost like this like unknown breed of people, you know, <laughs> like what do they do and who are they and where are they? Um, so I don't think people realize how quote unquote easy it is to find a very qualified board certified dermatologist within their own hometown. Um, you know, number two, I still find it very surprising that people confuse, you know, like um, cosmetologists with a dermatologist, like not realizing that dermatologists are actually doctors and that they could treat skin conditions. So I find that always to be refreshingly, um, you know, interesting. Um, so I'd probably say those are probably like the biggest, you know, surprises or misconceptions that I could think of from like a bird's eye view. And then skincare wise, um, I do think times are changing. I think with social media, dermatologists are really putting themselves out there more and, you know, kind of controlling the conversation when it comes to skin much more. Um, I would tell you a couple of, even just a couple of years ago, people would not necessarily go to the dermatologist just for skincare advice. And I feel like now it's finally going much more hand in hand. Um, you know, so I, I think that's a very pleasant push. Um, and it's kind of changing the ways that people are perceiving dermatologists, not just these like, unknown you know human beings who do whatever with skin but more as authorities within skincare and finally kind of you know fitting that bill i love that you talked about people getting dermatologists confused with like cosmetologists because like the only thing they have in common is like the ist at the end my mother-in-law <laughs> <laughs> kept calling me a cosmetologist and I was like I, I love you know it was really funny until she finally realized I was a dermatologist um but I love her and it was actually kind of a funny joke between us initially um but people don't realize what a dermatologist is and that was always something very surprising to me because obviously I'm in it and I was in medical school and I knew what it was um but they're doctors who specialize in the skin can help treat you with your biggest skin conditions can help you with your most benign um, can talk to you about skincare, can also, you know, do cosmetic stuff as well. I think it's interesting. I don't know your take on this. I'd be interested to hear, but I'm finding that there's a lot of YouTubers call themselves specialists. They don't have any background. They're not estheticians and they're not dermatologists. I personally find this like almost fraudulent because when I think of a specialist, I think of somebody that like went to school or somebody who has studied that you know, curriculum for an amount of time and keeps learning even more. People are going to say what they want to say. I think it's a tale as old.
people this time. Um, that being said, there's a lot of YouTubers there who are estheticians who do have merit in what they're saying or who do have credibility in what they're saying. So they're not all to be dismissed just because you're on YouTube or you're a blogger. But I do think you have to, you know, it's like buying something, a beauty product on Amazon. You have to know where you're buying it from. You can't just buy it blindly. Make sure that it's a licensed distributor. Make sure that who's giving you your information is a licensed human being and not somebody who's just talking out of their, you know, backside. I, it's funny, I actually interviewed John Dempsey on One Night Stand the other night, and he said my favorite quote of all time, which is dermatologists are the original skin influencers, skin influencers. And that's something that, coming back to my earlier point, I feel like dermatologists are finally establishing themselves as that, you know, and taking ownership of that. Whereas before, you know, they were just very, very um, humble about it without kind of jumping forward. But with the advent of social media, I think they're finally kind of coming to the forefront of that. Sarah, don't you think it's nuts that anybody would think that a dermatologist isn't a leader in skincare? Like, I don't understand that. Like, growing up, I always... It's an, you're an actual doctor. Like, you... Yes. <laughs> you like, went to medical school and you studied this and you've done research. It's It's even like, I mean, when people confuse... Yeah, like, I mean, cosmetologists, estheticians like a facialist with the dermatologist is completely different, obviously. But I think that people are starting to learn now <laughs> that that's not the case. Yeah, I think people are just getting more and more educated, you know. Um, but it's funny. I mean, there are people who are not even dermatologists who are doctors claiming to be dermatologists on social media. And that's a big faux pas too. And so the same way that there are, you know, bloggers claiming to be specialists that have no business saying that they're specialists. Um, and so I think now more so than ever, you really have to be careful where you're getting your news and your sources from. You know, I think it's a theme that's happening across the board, not just in the beauty world, not just in the beauty stratosphere. I think it's something that's kind of like happening really genuinely, uh, generally across the board, If you, sadly, if you think about it. Totally. Your patients probably vary in age. You probably have people as young as, I don't know, teenagers to, you know, women who are older or men. Could you, though, generalize maybe like some of the most common concerns you're seeing among your patients right now? So obviously I'm biased, right? Um, because I'm only seeing what I see and I only know what I know, right? Um, people come to me for injectables, you know? A lot of patients come to me for fillers. It's sort of what I, my passion, I love it. I love, you know, sculpting faces with fillers and toxins. And so I think I, I'm biased and by default, I see a lot of more of that you know, than other things. But given our current climate, I'll tell you, I've noticed a lot of people coming in with hair loss issues or complaining more so about hair loss than they used to because of stress. I've noticed people complaining about their jawline looking different and it's because they're clenching and grinding more. And so their masseters are enlarged, which is interesting as well. Um, other than the obvious mask knee that everyone's talking about and how to kind of be on top of your skincare, people at least are more generally, um, I think, interested in taking care or taking ownership over their skincare right now because they're breaking out more so than before. Um, and I've also noticed that people are being a little bit more ballsy about wanting to try stuff because their face is covered half the time. So like lip filler or, you know, working on their chin or jawline, or if they have jowls that they don't love, or, you know, kind of doing something a little bit riskier, they're willing to take that risk now more so than before. That's so interesting. So that's been, that's been, that's been kind of refreshing. Cause I'm like, yes, we can finally do this after like knowing you for six years. Cause you've been so scared, totally. you know? So I think it's been, a, it's been a fun kind of turn of events in that sense. So would you say then that because of quarantine and, and, you know, people maybe just being stuck at home and staring at themselves more um, in the mirror and on their phones, um, there's been an increase in maybe uh, wanting to get more Botox or fillers or dabbling in it for the first time if you've never had that experience before? Again, I don't know because new patients come to me wanting that stuff. So I don't know. However, I will say that there has been an increase in imaginary skin issues or problems. <laughs> like, you know, like this looks bigger than this. And I'm like, that's, that's, you know, it's always been that way and you're just noticing it. Or, you know, like, do you think that my upper lip is kind of so much? And I'm like, that's you kind of overanalyzing your face when you're looking at yourself or the double chin. Everyone's talking about their double chin because their cameras or their computers are, you know, on a lower table and they're not looking at themselves. 
at a normal angle. You know, it's as if, you know, you were kind of talking to a room of short people and everyone's looking up with your computer below you. So I feel like people have, are coming in with issues that are really not um, issues for them, but in their head appears more amplified. And I, ha I find myself actually having to talk them out of certain things more, more regularly nowadays than I used to. Would you say that, or actually, I'm just curious, this is not a question that we have, Sarah, but what is the most consistent thing you're trying to talk your clients out of? It's such a good question. I mean, everyone is so different, um, but I will tell you, it's a, I've gotten a lot of questions about the double chin. Okay. You know, whether it's, should I do Kybella? Should I do Kuskop? Should I get Lipo? Should I do this? And I look at them and I'm like, you have nothing. Like you literally have nothing, you know? And if you, if I look at yourself from below, of course it looks like you have something, but you actually have like a jawline that could cut someone, you know? <laughs> and so I find it very fascinating that, you know, people with even the most beautiful jawlines, and it's something that I've always looked at because it's my own personal insecurity, this jawline area, I've always had a weak one. Um, I find it fascinating that those with even really well-defined ones still find issues with their own jawlines. You know, and I, it's really, um, it's a product of them staring at themselves in bad angles on Zoom all day. I was going to say, it's like cell phone culture. It's like when you accidentally turn on your camera on your phone and so you're like. That, like, honestly, like sometimes I turn on social media, Instagram, and it turns on. I'm like, thank God that they're not like, because <laughs> it's like the worst, it's like a nightmare inducing view. It's terrible. I know. I was, I was going to say, I feel like that's what put Kaidella on the map. Like seeing that angle is crazy. When it comes to double chins though. What's your favorite method for getting rid of it? It really depends. So it depends on your anatomy. It depends on your muscle structure and placement and genetics. Um, and it depends on the patient's, you know, MO. Do they want to have surgery or not? And if they don't want to have surgery, then I love combining Kybella with CoolSculpt. I think it's a great treatment to kind of combine the two to get kind of a different approach to both sides. But then redefining the jawline with fillers really helps to kind of tug it all and like, you know, perfect it. So I would probably say the combination of fillers along the jawline, Kybella and CoolSculpt. You, we have started talking about fillers and neurotoxins. Um, and when you work on your clients, you have a very like natural approach um, to your art and what you're creating. Can you tell us how you help your clients decide if and when they should get Botox or fillers or other types of neurotoxins? And if so, um, you know, when that, like, what is your baseline for that? So I think it's very much a case by case basis. And obviously that being said, it becomes a very subjective thing, right? With each person, you know, somebody comes in, I've had 40 year olds who look like they're in their twenties. And I've had 20 year olds who look like they're almost hitting 50. Like, you know, they look really just raggedy. So it really depends on who's sitting in front of you. Um, what I always do is, I mean, let's take a step back. When you think of aging, and I've said this before, I have noticed in my practice that there is like three peaks in life. All right. The first peak that I noticed is usually like in your late twenties, early thirties, where people come in and they tell me, you know, Dr. Idris, over the last six months, I feel like something's changed in my face, but I can't quite pinpoint it. But there's something that just doesn't look like I used to. And that's to be expected. Then I find there's another kind of, you know, herd that comes in in their late 30s, early 40s, where it's more kind of dramatic. Like I woke up in the last month and in the last month, everything kind of dropped. Uh, you know, I, something weird is going on. I don't know what it is. Maybe I lost weight. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's stress, but that's also to be expected. And then there's a third peak, which is sort of in the late forties where I get, I woke up and overnight, I don't recognize myself. And after that, I think there's a lot of self-acceptance that happens where people kind of just accept the fact that they're going to have to be more on top of it. Um, and this is a very broad generalization. And so the first peak being in their late twenties, early thirties, it's an interesting one because oftentimes the lines are not fully there yet for me to tell that person, well, you need to get Botox because they really don't have much and you don't want to take away someone's expression. At least that's not what I'm trying to do. And you don't want to change someone's face. And so when I think of aging and you think of the different issues that are going on, whether it's built in lines or volume loss or discoloration or texture laxity, I try to look at that person and as objectively as humanly possible, which is a paradox in itself, try to pinpoint what it is 
that's causing the biggest issue for that person in this stage of time. And that's how I approach it. I don't just say, let's throw some Botox in there and let's prevent the movement so you get zero lines for the rest of your life because you're going to do a disservice to the patient in the end. They're going to end up being flatter. Their brows might drop a little bit faster and you want that muscle memory. You want that expression in a face. And I'm not just going to shove filler in their face if that's not the issue because I don't want to start when they don't really need it, you know? And so I really try to find, you know, what is it that their biggest issue, at least in my eyes, and go from there. And kind of address that initially. And then, like I tell every patient that walks through my door, if you don't like me, please leave. Because what I view, I view this as being hopefully a long-term relationship. I'm not trying to be a one-hit wonder with you. I want to grow with you. That's my biggest goal. And I really think, especially with the younger generation, they're so used to shopping around, jumping around, getting everything accessible on, the, on their fingertips that they're not used to building relationships. And I find that, especially when it comes to cosmetics and how you look, it's so important that you find that person. And I tell them, whether it's me or not me, you have to decide um, that you want to grow with because you don't want to have 20 cooks in the kitchen. You don't want to piecemeal a face. You don't want to add cheeks with one person and chin with another. Someone does lips like Picasso, another person does. You know, So I feel like you want to find that person that gets you, that you can work with, and that you can grow with. I totally agree. Sarah has never done Botox or fillers. She's a virgin. Look at her. Like, she's perfect. I know. I am coming back in my next life, and hopefully my next life is like, it would start like in 2030, right? You know, not that I'm going to die early, but like, I don't want to come in 2020 again, ever again. And I'm coming back an Asian person. Asians in general have better pore structures than the rest in a study that was published in 2015 and that I've always, you know, thought to be true. They have better skin. I mean, look at her. She looks like flawless. She doesn't need anything. Okay, well, I have some lighting going on. Sarah, please be quiet. You're not allowed to be a part of this conversation. Literally, like yeah, I- we're, we're talking about you, not to you. And literally, like, she is lucky. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot. Her forehead is, like, so clear. You know, her, her volume is still touching her lower eyelid. And it's like, her cheeks are so plump, and it's so perfect. Yes, I was literally talk. I was thinking about this. Like, I initially wanted to ask you to like give us like quick consultations on like what you would do to like m make us. By the way, she's pregnant as well, Sharif. She's pregnant. Well, that's a how many a months thing. are you? I'm a nine months pregnant. Where? Wait, stand I, up. I know. Hold on, are you kidding? I know. I know. I know. Look, look at this. <laughs> When I was nine months pregnant, I looked like I could eat you for breakfast and lunch at once. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. Oh my God, you look amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, this is very flattering. Thank you. No, but I was going to say, like, I wanted you to give us, like, little consults, but I was like, I don't need to embarrass myself. Like, Shireen's going to be like, Sarah, you're good. Kirby, okay, now let's talk about filler here Shut at the temples. Up. Let's, like, completely restructure your jawline. I was like, I'm Get not putting myself here. through that. I'm not putting myself through that. Okay, well, this is funny because one of my questions that I, I took out because I didn't think we were going to have time was, you're Lebanese, and one of, one of my best friends is Lebanese, and, like, I grew up with other friends who were Lebanese and you all are like one like the most beautiful women like you guys are all so stunning and I wanted to know like what are they doing over in Lebanon that we're not doing over here in the States? I mean you're very kind thank you um, I actually have never lived in Lebanon to tell you but like I've visited and yes women there are very beautiful um, I think the culture is very much oriented towards beauty, towards not just beauty physically, but beauty, like if you're going to have a party, make it look beautiful. If you're going to have a dinner, you might, you have to have a beautiful setup. Like you have to feed the eyes before anything else. And I think it's a very much a um, beauty driven culture. So it's, it's, I don't find it surprising that I entered this field, but I will say that when I do go and visit, I oftentimes cringe at what I see, because I do see a lot of naturally beautiful women who are all going overboard or seeing somebody who does a lot of the same things over and over to this to different faces. Um, so I don't know, because I don't, I've never lived there. Um, and I visit for like a week at a time. Right. I see my grandmother, so I'm not really out and about so much. But I do think that, you know, I worry about the way cosmetics is going over there. But I do think that women and men, especially like everyone in Lebanon has all, I mean, it's, it's a country that's very much driven towards enjoying your life, you know, the joie de vivre, um, 
enjoying beautiful settings. If you're going to have a small house, let it be a really cool, fun, small house. If you're going to have a garden, might have beautiful trees. Like we enjoy our surroundings and how we look and how we dress and how what we wear. It's just like a very cult, a visually driven culture. Well, I mean, Lebanon's not alone. I mean, like I feel like every there, you could pick a country anywhere in the world and they're probably overdoing it. <laughs> I think so. I just remember as a kid, this is, I'm not talking about cosmetics. I just remember as a kid though, coming back to the earlier point, I went to the beach and I was with my mom and my sisters and legit like four out of every 10 women were there with their hair like blown out. <laughs> they went to the hairdresser, got their hair blown out. They were walking in like heels and like a pareo cover up for their, uh, for their bathing suit. And I was like, where are we? Cause I'm coming from DC. Right. And I was like, don't you wear flip-flops and like shorts and a tank top to the beach? And these women are like legit walking in like, you know, platform heels and like pareos and jewelry and their hair bouffants. And I'm like, I had no idea what was going on. Well, that sounds like parts of like Malibu or Orange County, right, Kirby? <laughs> yes. Maybe. Honestly, maybe. But I felt like I was like in a, on another planet. But it was, a, it was an interesting, um, you know, experience. It's been an interesting education. I read in an interview that you have not gotten a facial in 15 years. Uh Can you please elaborate? Because Kirby and I, like this past quarantine, we're like dying without our, you know, bi-monthly facials, bi-weekly facials. So that quote is going to like bite me forever. Um, I have not had a facial in 15 years and that still holds true. Actually, it's probably longer now because I said that a year and a half ago. I remember. Was it into the gloss? It was. Yeah. So basically, I, it's been longer now and I still have not had a facial, but I have to have a disclaimer. OK, and I feel like this is my chance to do it right, because I t- context is everything. There is a lot of estheticians that I refer my patients to. Facials are like toners. They are not created equal across the board. And I honestly think nobody really knows what a facial means. And when I said that, What I mean by facial is, first of all, I haven't had anybody really manipulate my face because I have no time and because I'm really on top of my skincare. And if I am going to have time, it's to be, to get a full body massage. That's, that's, that's honestly why. Um, But facials have this rep where I've seen patients go to somebody and they come back with their skin demolished, poked, prodded, or unchanged at all, and yet they've been going every single month. And when I ask them where they're going and I ask them what's getting done, it's like, oh, they're putting such and such creams on my face. That's not a facial, you know? Like it's demeaning to what a facial actually means and what, to what estheticians actually do. Like a good esthetician is hard to find. I'm not gonna lie. It's like a good injector, they're hard to find. People might think it looks easy. Uh, people might make it look easy, but it's actually a really, it's an art to be a good esthetician and to be you know, a good injector to do something. And so I think I would like to do right this time and say you have to find the right esthetician for you who is not just gonna slap stuff on your face, making you go every month and not empowering you to learn about your own skin. Because ultimately I view in my mind facials as a bridge to you getting good skin and for you to be in control over your skin and to know how your skin responds to different products. And once you've crossed that bridge, then you can graduate the facials to getting them how often you please to get them because you enjoy them, not because you're being forced to get them in order to have good skin. Does that make sense? Totally. I feel like there's still so many, I mean, unless you're the type of person that wants a facial that's just relaxing, like you just like to be. Yeah. Like, listen, if I enjoyed that the way like some people enjoy getting their eyebrows done, I would be there all day, every day. I hate people being like, I hate people doing my eyebrows. Like someone over my face, I get claustrophobic. And so it's not for me. It's not an enjoyable experience. And I found that I learned how to take care of my skin on my own. And so I was able to cross that bridge without having to get facials, you know? But if you find the really good esthetician who can hold your hand through the process of you figuring out what it is you need exactly or, you know, what you're responding to and having the help of a dermatologist along the way periodically, then more power to you. But I never want anybody or any patient to feel that they are, you know, beholden to somebody who's giving them a facial every month. And without that facial, they're going to look like, dilapidated like a bag of chips or whatever you know like i want them to feel empowered there's two things i want to touch on first of all sarah do you remember when there was like one or two beauty editors that went and got facials in new york and literally shereen like their face looked like it was clawed by cats like i have never seen 
somebody's skin look like this after a facial. And I remember I wrote this editor and I'm like, what the hell is going on in New York? Like, you're the second person who has said that this has happened to their skin. I've seen patients like that. That's insane. And when she responded to me, she said that the esthetician that she saw has a very aggressive approach. But for me, I'm like, what purpose is that serving your skin to literally make it look like it's clawed by an animal? Yeah, I know. I completely agree. I mean, there is no purpose in that, you know, Um, and ultimately you're probably going to cause more inflammation, more hyperpigmentation more micro micro um, tears on your skin, you're going to thin it out. It's going to be worse for you in the long run. So I've seen patients come in who look like they've been beaten up. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like your skin was good to begin with. You maybe needed one or two extractions, you know, in the, in the right setting by the right hands, but you didn't need this, you know? Yeah. And so um, this is why I keep saying what I'm saying. And it's, I'm not, I hope, you know, I don't offend anyone. But I don't think estheticians like dermatologists, like plastic surgeons, like anyone are created equal across the board. I don't think facials are a term that can be generalized because they're not all created equal across the board. And I think you as a consumer, as a patient, as much as you want to be spoon fed everything, you have to do your homework. You have to like study the person that you're going to. Someone's touching your face. You have one body. You have one layer of, you know, like you have more than one layer of skin, but you have one skin organ on your body. So treat it well. Yeah. And I think also a good uh, esthetician, like you said, can kind of be the bridge to working with a great dermatologist as well. Like if you go to an esthetician and they're noticing something on your skin that is out of their you know, jurisdiction, mm-hmm. they would, they maybe would refer their client to a great dermatologist. And like you said, you refer a lot of your clients to great estheticians as well. I have a bunch in New York that I work with. Like I love Joanna Vargas, you know, like I text her on the, on the regular, here's a patient taker. Um, there's Cynthia Rivas is another one who's great that I have a lot of patients with and that she messages me back and forth. Um, you know, Joey Tavernis is another one in an uh, Upper East Side. So there's a bunch that I kind of work with back and forth. Ida Bikaj is another one. She's like the biology recherche woman. Oh, yeah. um, and so um, there's a lot that I that I that I deal with on the daily, you know. And I respect them, and I feel like they 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 are able to give my patients the luxury of time, which sometimes I am not able to, and they're able to handhold them better. Uh, and through the process when their skin is acting up, you know, while they're trying to figure out which products they need to be using better, I can give them the guidance, but I can't necessarily be on top of their face for 40 minutes, right? Just talking about skincare or like extracting. And so they're, they're great extenders to my hands, you know, like, and I, I don't think I could be doing what I do today if I didn't have the right network of estheticians behind me. Um, but I personally don't enjoy facials. I would love to go try one again at some point. You know, maybe Joanna will do her triple crown on me at some point. Um, I would love to experience it, but I don't find it soothing. I pref- I'd rather get a foot massage, a full body massage, or a scalp massage. Oh my God. All I do lately is watch Instagram and YouTube videos of estheticians doing, first of all, like full facials, you know, proper extractions, things like that. And then they go into like this meditative state where it's like the music gets really low and then the lights change and then they're just like working on the neck and then they do like, oh my God, it is so, so relaxing. Sheree, it's like, that makes me, my skin crawl. (laughs) If they want to give like my neck shawl instead of a facial, do a neck shawl. Like, I don't care. I made that word up, but go to town on the back of my neck and my shoulders all day, every day. I always feel cheated if uh, I get a facial and they don't massage my neck and like shoulder area Uh, same I'm always like no I love it's it really just comes back to like I want to massage massage me please yeah but that's the thing yeah maybe we should all just get massages (laughs) it's like when you go to the hairdresser and the person who's washing your hair doesn't give you a good scalp rub oh I get so angry I'm like why did I just waste two hours you know getting highlights if they didn't massage my scalp (laughs) I know I know um okay so obviously you focus on cosmetic dermatology and we had some people asking you know what are some tips for someone who can't afford to see a derm now earlier in this conversation you said that dermatologists are a lot more accessible than people may think but if it comes to budgetary issues like do you have any advice for people that maybe are saving up or they just it's not in the cards for them at this point like what can they be doing to really take good care of their skin i mean okay so there's like two questions here one is what can you do to take care of your skin and what do you do if you're saving up 
So if you're saving up, I will say you have to spend money in order to see results in the sense that do your homework, meet the people that you're interested in working with, and then decide who you want to work with. Okay. So you might lose a couple of like, you know, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred bucks between consultations between several dermatologists, but at the end, you will find the right person for you and it will be a cheaper win. You know, it won't be such an expensive problem that you need to fix down the road. So I would say that's probably my first piece of advice. If you're looking to find for somebody, find someone that you want to work with and you're trying to save up for it, spend the money upfront and you'll reap the benefits in the long run. Um, now, what can you do to help yourself at home? It's going to sound really dumb, but get to know your skin. All right. First things first is listen and learn your skin. Understand what it is that you respond to. Understand, you know, what products your skin gets acclimated well to. If you keep using something and yet you're still breaking out, you cannot come into the office and tell me, well, I like this product. It works. No, it doesn't. Because look at your face. You're actively breaking out. So you might like it emotionally, but does your skin like it physically? No, there's a difference. There's a disconnect. And so listen to your skin and get to understand what your skin is responding to. I would say do that, take that time and invest in yourself to understand yourself before you start spending all your money on skincare products. That's first and foremost. Um, second of all, cheap fix, wash your face at night before you go to sleep. Easy. All right. Not a makeup wipe, not a stupid makeup wipe. Go to the sink, get your sleeves wet. It's annoying. If they get wet, change your top. Okay. No one likes to sleep with a wet pajama. Change your top, but basically wash your face at night. If you're going to do anything, brush your teeth and wash your face at night. You don't have to apply anything, but at least just wash it. Um, because I feel like a lot of people expect great skin, but then I see them in the morning when they come into the office and it looks like they have like something under their eyes, but it's just makeup from yesterday. And I'm like, did you, did you even wash your face before coming in? No. So I would say that's probably worth your time and effort. Um, I would also say sunscreen, as obvious as it sounds, you know, the younger you are, you know, the better. You're not invincible. You're going to age, you know, as long as you learn that pretty soon, you'll be ahead in life. And so sunscreen starting from an early age, getting into the habit of just using it. So I often get asked, well, it's cloudy or I only go out for half an hour. A day. It doesn't matter as long as it becomes a habit, you know, it's like, going to the gym, you don't decide if you want to go to the gym on a club. Maybe you do, because I do. If it's raining, I don't go. But you, don't, you, you try to create a habit out of it. And so wearing the sunscreen as a habit every day after you brush your teeth in the morning, you put it on before you put your makeup, it becomes part of your DNA. It becomes part of your way of life. And I think ultimately that's going to serve you better than anything else. Um, and you're going to get enough vitamin D throughout the day, even if you put sunscreen on your face. Okay, The face is not your whole body surface area. You're going to get the vitamin D. So don't worry about that. So now we have hit the speed round and usually we do a speed round just with questions that Sarah and I like to throw out. They're really fun. There's no pressure at all, but we do have listener questions. Some were repeats, so we just kind of contain them all. Um, there's nine. So in this speed round, you can answer as concisely as you want or as long as you would like. However, if you give us a one-word answer and it's intriguing to us, we will ask you to elaborate. This is no pressure. Yeah, so whatever comes to mind. So um, one of the questions that we got from our listeners was about mask me. They want to know what the best way is to prevent blackheads and clogged pores and maybe breakouts when you're constantly wearing your mask. All right, so that's a very relevant one. First things first, if you're wearing a cloth mask, wash it every day. I mean, you don't wear the same underwear twice, so make sure you're washing your mask every single day. You don't want to reintroduce bacteria into your face, okay? That's probably rule number one. And if you only have one mask, then we have bigger problems because just go buy other cloth masks, okay? They're not that expensive. Um, second is, again, wash your face at night. Use a gentle cleanser. Wash it at night. I think once a day is more than enough at the end of the day. I think people are overdoing it and overwashing, and that, you know, um, is causing increased oil production, making things worse. So don't overdo it. Wash your face once a day at night. Um, I would tell you now is probably the time for you to consider 
starting some sort of vitamin A derivative, retinol, retinoid, I would tell you don't use it every single night if you are a virgin to it. Less is more, especially initially, because if you overdo it, you're going to either purge or not tolerate it. And then you're going to be super inflamed and you're going to cause yourself bigger issues in the long run. And I'd rather you stick to it and actually use it regularly. So a pea-sized amount is all you need for your whole face. So less than that is what you need on your nose and chin. I personally cannot use it on my nasolabial folds because I get very dry and irritated and most people do too. So just avoid the nasolabial folds, focus on your nose and chin and, try, and maybe top of your cheeks and try that first once a week and kind of build up a tolerance. And then finally, on the days that you're not using that, I would try to you know, exfoliate with some kind of chemical exfoliant. You know, whether it's glycolic acid, lactic acid, mandelic acid, salicylic acid, a PHA, whatever. One of the uh, chemical exfoliants, not a physical scrub, um, but something more chemical to help break up the skin. Love it. Okay. How can you really fight melasma? Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. Million dollar question. Dramatic pause. Okay. Melasma is my nemesis and I have decided to make it one of my life goals to figure out the best effing treatment for melasma because melasma is tough. I had it with my son not with my daughter. It came up on the side of my cheeks. I woke, I remember one day I went into the office and my nurse at the time was like, you look like the crypt keeper. What happened? And I was like, oh my God, she was right. I looked terrible because it came out of nowhere. I will say when you have melasma, less aggressive is more. I steer away from aggressive lasers that break your skin barrier. I really have learned to invest in products that combine the strongest efficacy ingredients. Um, I think there is, you know, room for improvement in that domain. And I think melasma, hyperpigmentation, age spots, they're all related. And I feel like people who have brown spots can understand what a person obviously with melasma has. So it's not difficult to empathize with that. And I think there's a lot of different products out there that can help across the board topically at home. So it becomes much more of a behavioral thing. How are you helping yourself help your melasma? But don't expect a miracle in home uh, office procedure. And lastly, if it's really bad, there are pills that we can give, you know, that can actually, that have helped a lot of my patients. And we're still trying to figure out the right protocol with those pills. It's oral tranexamic acid. Um, I've had a lot of patients that I had initially started putting them on it three times, three months a year over the warmest months. So in summertime to kind of get them through that time of the year. And it was working beautifully. Um, and so it's something that I'm trying to figure out what is the right cadence for that treatment for patients in the long run. I'm on the oral tranexamic acid pills and it's been very, very helpful for me. I have melasma because of my IUD. I had initially had it when I was on Yaz. Uh, and then when I got off birth control pills, it went away like almost instantly, which was remarkable. But then of course, it depends on your body. It depends on, you know, your personal life. Like I wasn't in a relationship and I didn't need to be on birth control. Um, but you know, I know some women obviously are on birth control regardless of if they're in a relationship or not for personal life reasons, but also for like skin reasons or like their menstrual cycle. You never know what's going to trigger it. Is it going to be too hot one day? Or did you go to hot yoga? Did that trigger it? You know, is it your period? Did you get pregnant? You didn't realize it. Like so many different things. Are you going through menopause? Like so many things can trigger melasma. I think ultimately it's going to be about you again, learning about your skin, knowing what it responds to. Um, but I do wonder if there is room for better um, treatments, at home treatments, at home products, you know, things that are more geared towards it. And you know, people are playing chemists all day, every day now. And I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, approve of that with skincare, but I think that, you know, there, there are really great ingredients out there that you can be using together to make it work better. Do you have a favorite at home product people should check out if they are dealing with melasma right now? I am, I don't have one. No, I have like too many. It gets expensive, honestly. And I recognize that. And I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of like put it all together. Okay. We may have to reach out and like get you to give us a little intel on that because hello, my face. Thank you. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Watch this space, I guess. Um, but we'll see. Because melasma is a personal issue and I just think it's so frustrating and it's not all created equal. And, but I do find it, what I find interesting with melasma is that even people with regular sunspots can understand 
how annoying it is. You know, it's not something that's um, obscure, even though it sounds obscure. So many people have it in, in different kind of um, severities. And I do think that it's something that any age group can benefit from a, a good treatment. Okay. What is the best way to treat acne during pregnancy? So acne during pregnancy, you can use like glycolic acid, lactic acid, you're fine. You know, exfoliating a little bit better. Finacea azelaic acid is my personal favorite. It's so easy, so gentle. It acts like a light anti-inflammatory. No one knows exactly how it works, but it works really nicely as an anti-inflammatory. It might not make it go away completely, but it helps to calm it down. And so I do think that can give pregnant women some more instant gratification. And then there are some topical antibiotics that you can use when you're pregnant. That's okay. Like clindamycin is fine. Topical erythromycin is fine. Um, you know, I, I, I try to go less is more when you're pregnant because I just it's just not worth. It took me years to get pregnant. I did IVF and I never wanted to introduce something that might cause something and, you know, cause confusion. Um, so it's a confusing time to begin with. So I try to just, you know, veer towards more topical treatments in pregnancy. Okay, uh, eye creams. Do you believe in them? If so, what are your favorites? I am kind of like manic when it comes to this topic in the sense that sometimes I'm like, just use Vaseline. And other times I'm like, use Kid de Poo. Like, you know, <laughs> two ends of the spectrum that do not make any sense. I will say, if you find yourself an eye cream that feels luxe in which your skin has that instant, you know, gratification effect, use it, enjoy it, you live once. If you're not going to pamper yourself, where are you going to pamper, Right. Do you need to spend that much money on an eye cream? No. My personal favorites include basically mixing up my prescription tretinoin within the eye cream or Vaseline to try to make it work more effectively. Have I found myself with certain irritations at points? Yeah. You know, have I gone overboard? Yeah. Um, but I think that eye creams can, can be better. But if you find yourself one that happens to be expensive, but that gives you that instant effect, it's okay. Enjoy it. And if you haven't, then try Vaseline. Toners and essences. I know you were talking about, you know, not all toners or essences are created equal, but do you think that they're a necessary step in a skincare routine? I don't even know what a toner is. And I'm a dermatologist. What the F is a toner? Toners used to be really strong astringents, right? Then all of a sudden, toners now are being used interchangeably as chemical exfoliants. But then you find other brands that are calling something a toner, but in another brand, it's an essence. And so personally, your friend Shireen is confused by the marketing of what a toner is. <laughs> I don't even know. I truthfully, across the board, it means different things for different brands. And I will tell you that, do you need a chemical exfoliant? It's good. And yes, you should incorporate that in your skincare routine. Absolutely. If that is also called a toner, then I approve the toner, which is a chemical exfoliant. Essences serve a purpose. You know, they definitely help. Um, but do you necessarily need it? I would say they help to oomph it up, but they're not going to make or break your skincare routine. And so I will also tell you, like, I personally use rose water, simple rose water. Love it. $4. I use it for some of my, to calm the redness because I do have underlying rosacea as well. Um, and it's beautiful, you know? So if toners mean chemical exfoliants, I will say, yes, use them. If essences make help you amp up your skincare routine, I would say it doesn't hurt to incorporate them. But do you need an essence? No. Do you need a toner if it is a chemical exfoliant? Yes. I'm sure you get this next question all day, every day. How do you get rid of under eye wrinkles? My baby daughter was born with under eye wrinkles. Okay. <laughs> Everybody has lines under their eyes. You just never noticed them before because you probably weren't looking as closely. That being said, do you develop more lines as you age? Absolutely. Um, can you fully erase them? No. Can you help them? Yes. There are resurfacing lasers like Fraxel, Clear and Brilliant, et cetera, that are great. Microneedling with heat can also help stimulate collagen. I love PRP personally. It has helped me. I actually posted it before and after about my under eyes because I was becoming a little bit more volume deficient and I, I did not put filler under my eyes. I used PRP. It helped to stimulate my own collagen. And I feel like in conjunction with resurfacing lasers, it can really help oomph it up, sort of like an essence to your skincare. The PRP can oomph up that um, you know, resurfacing laser. Fillers can help if you have volume loss. Botox is one that I would say nine out of 10 of my colleagues use. Personally, I am very picky about Botox or any kind of toxin around the eyes. 
Um, it changes the smile. It changes the shape of the eyes. You know, if it works to your benefit, great, we'll do it. If it's going to make you look a little bit stuck, I will not do it. Um, and I'm very picky about the placement of where I put it. That's great. I um, I actually had a friend get too much Botox um, just in general, like around her eye area. But that's the other thing, brides. Like they all come in a month before thinking they want to try everything under the sun. If you get engaged, you don't call a wedding planner. You call a dermatologist that you can figure out who you're going to work with. And you're going to go test different things on yourself before your wedding. Don't think you're going to come in and do everything the month before that you've never done and then expect to look like a fairy. You know, everyone responds differently. You want to see what works for you. So the second you get engaged, forget calling your parents, call a dermatologist, book an appointment, then tell your parents you got engaged and then figure out how you want to grow with your dermatologist figure out what treatments that work for you that make you look your best so that you can prep yourself for your big day. Is that going to be the name of your future book? Call, Don't call your parents, call your dermatologist. <laughs> Honestly, I've never said that one out loud. I think I've thought it many times, but yeah, I think I like it. <laughs> I need to write that down. <laughs> That's the name of this episode. <laughs> your parents, call your derm. Trademark that now. Okay, we're almost done. Favorite skincare splurges? I love Chidapool. Um I love La Prairie. I know they're expensive. I know it's stupid. Um, but I will say this. It lasts me like six or seven months, especially the La Prairie, like that pump, that caviar filler cream. Yep. Six or seven months, like without fail. So I, I remember when I went with my husband to go buy it. This was like last fall because the other one I was gifted. I think they gave it to me as a PR gift. He was like, you're going to spend this much money on cream. I'm like, hey, I work. I make my own money. But anyway, it lasts me seven months. <laughs> you know? And I was like, who are you yes, to have you an do. opinion? Um, but it was, he was shocked. I think he was shocked at like, who's this moron spending this much money on a cream? But if it makes you happy and if it gives you joy, then it's okay to have some splurges. I'm not saying that everything has to be la prairie. I think that is, you know, unless you're like, I don't know, good for you in life, you know, but otherwise lower budget skincare products can be as equally effective, not because something is a thousand dollars. Is it worth that price tag? Absolutely not true. But there's just that absolute filler cream that I love. I love the way it feels on my face. It's one of the only creams in which I wake up in the morning and I have this like dewiness to my skin um, after 12 hours of sleeping. I don't sleep for 12 hours. I sleep for six, but after a night's rest, you know, and so I don't know. It's nice. Sarah and I both love La Prairie, um, but we always, especially when it comes to, you know, prestige and especially like luxury skincare products, like we love to recommend them, but we also want to be cognizant of people's budgets. We never want to be like, you have to have this $500 eye cream. But if you have the budget and you want to splurge, go for it. Why not? It's like, you know, listen, I don't buy handbags. I do not respect bags enough to spend money on a bag because I throw it on the floor. Okay. It's like, a, I have no respect for a bag. And so I don't buy expensive handbags. Does that mean somebody who goes and buys a Chanel bag or a Gucci bag, I should judge? No, it makes them happy. Go ahead. Is that Chanel bag really worth that much money? I mean, according to these women, they could sell it for more. They say it is. I don't know. I bet you it costs like a fraction of the price to make. But if it makes them happy, God bless. You know what I mean? To each their own. And if there's a skincare, one cream, one thing that you really love that makes you, for whatever reason, feel something else or enjoy something or takes you to the next level, enjoy it. You know, without any guilt, without any kind of, don't, don't justify it. Just enjoy it. You live once. You're not going to die with your money. Okay, so this is the last question. You touched on this. It doesn't have to be expensive to be effective. So what are your favorite drugstore, Target, beauty buys that are easy to get and affordable? Many. I love Bioderma. Love it. I love Vanacream. It's one of my favorite cleansers. I love Walida. I know it has essence, uh, essential oils or whatever, but I use it in the winter when it's really dry and I use it on my lips and it helps me because I don't have very sensitive skin. I love Aven, I think is a great one. Um, you know, I use all those products on the regular. Like literally they're always on my shelf. What else? First, no, First Aid Beauty is not at Target. I think that's at Sephora. That's a little bit more expensive. Um, I used to use Neutrogena's eye makeup remover. I was actually going to say, Sarah, I've never really tested out Vanna Cream before. I haven't either. It's like seven bucks. It's the best. It's like a glycerin face wash. 
it's great. Hmm. Like you do not need more than that in your life. Pick that up. Yeah. I need to get on that. I want to, yeah, I'm definitely going to look into Vanna Cream, but we love all those other brands that you mentioned as well. So First Aid Beauty, even though it's not at Target, a, they they should look into getting into Target. That feels like a perfect mix. Well, because they're not, they're not that expensive. It's like, what, 30 bucks-ish? It's still affordable. Um, awesome. All right, Dr. Idris, thank you so much. You're fabulous. We're so lucky that we were able to have you on the pod. I know that you're a busy woman with your babies and your family and your job and your Instagram, basically just J- Jacqueline of all trades. Of course, you're amazing. Um, where can people find you on uh, social or, or maybe your website? I was like hiding under a rock somewhere. Um, I am on Instagram under Shireen Idris. There are four E's to my name and three S's total. So there's a lot of E's and S's. S-H-E-R-E-E-N-E-I-D-R-I-S-S at uh, Instagram. And then I have a YouTube channel, which I need to kind of give more love towards. I haven't really given it much love and I'm going to try to do better at that. So again, Shereen Idris. Um, I have a website, pillowtalkderm.com, where I'm hoping to also do a better job at making that better. But I am a one woman show at the moment and um, I need to find my counterpart to help me. So, but those, that's where you can, and in the office, you'll find me in the office all day, every day for 10 hours a day. Amazing. Um, yeah, and we'll, we will link Dr. Idris, um, all of her socials, all of her information, all the products that she mentioned will be on our website, www.glossangelespod.com. And you can find us on social at Los Angeles Pod on Instagram and Twitter and join our Facebook group. It is just search Los Angeles and you'll find us. We're having a lot of fun in there. There's over a thousand members now. Woo! Amazing. Congratulations. (laughs) Awesome, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 